dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. In today's world, it can be very confusing to try to figure out what exactly we're supposed to do as leaders. Many people will have many opinions. Leaders bringing concord, leaders charging from the front, leaders supporting all with compassion. St. Thomas Aquinas actually has a very clear vision for leaders. He calls it unity. But what exactly does he mean? Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for being with us here. We're trying to really work at what it means to be a leader, especially a leader after God's own heart. And a lot of times, as Christians especially, we we walk around thinking that, in a sense, we're just natural-born leaders because we are God's chosen ones, right? We're anointed. We have the Holy Spirit. We're very special, right? We just kind of like think that leadership is something that maybe people who don't know Jesus as well as we do actually have to work at. And for the rest of us, we just are kind of born, you know, uh, as leaders and effectively can do—we don't have to try, in other words— And that's where I want you here with me now because what I want to give you is actually a different vision. The the, the principle comes from St. Thomas Aquinas. It's very beautiful. He says that grace does not destroy nature, but rather lifts it up and perfects it. Grace does not destroy nature. Grace does not destroy nature. That means that when Jesus calls us as Christians to be his hands and feet in the world, it requires skill. It's not just because God has anointed us with the Holy Spirit that we don't have to work on our end to do everything that nature requires in order to excel in that service. I mean, in other words, if I'm supposed to be a part of the world here below and win the hearts and the minds of those around me for God, Well, I need to be skilled in the ways of this world because the hearts and the minds around me will not be replaced or destroyed by grace, but rather be lifted up. I need to be a part of that dialogue between God and his people by myself learning the ways that those people function. And this is where my work as a leader in a business actually has a lot to do with my faith. Because if I've been entrusted to that organization, at whatever level, be it the owner, be it the manager, be it an executive, be it a specialist involved in that, whatever sphere that I have in that business, listen, that's a sphere that's been entrusted to me by God. If you don't believe that, you think way too little of yourselves. Just imagine a world where the, 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 the realms of business weren't controlled by people whose ethics were rooted in God. Could you imagine what a difference that would make? Now imagine a world where those who contain 
and control the, the powers of business, actually have a heart that's controlled by God and his love. Doesn't it look very different? You've been entrusted with your role in this world by God in order to do his work in whatever sphere that is. But think of it in that perspective because then you realize that in order to do that work, I need to learn it. What is this art of leadership? What is its purpose? What is its point? What is its goal? What, what are the tools that it uses? How does it employ itself? What are its enemies? This is all the study that St. Thomas Aquinas did in his own way, way back in the 13th century, when he wrote to the king of Cyprus, right? It's a book called De Regno. It's a very kind of short work, and it's been unfortunately overlooked by many priests who comment on leadership because it's written for kings. And we say, okay, well, it's about his political theory, and that means that it's probably outdated because he actually says that democracy is not the greatest thing and that being a king is better. And so, like, you know, they just, they let it go. And that's too bad because what Aquinas gives us here is almost like a handbook of the principles that we need, the leadership lessons that we need to know in order to lead with all of the skill and all of the acumen that Christ expects us to lead with as his followers. And so I want us to, to go really deeply into this, and we're going to be taking a look today in a special way at chapter 3, where he talks especially about whether it is more expedient to be for a city or a province, we could say for an organization, to be ruled by one man or by many. So before we go any further, let's go ahead and invoke the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are, we are before you today as your leaders, your chosen ones, to whom you've entrusted this heavy responsibility. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us this day, that we might know your heart and lead your people in your place towards you and with your care. And for this, we ask the grace of Christ and the intercession of the Virgin Mary and all the saints. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so, you know, the real question in front of us before we do anything is to ask, what exactly is the purpose of leadership? We, we, it's amazing because there are so many answers out there, right? And all of them are right. Some will say the purpose of the leader is to cast the vision. Others will say it's to articulate the mission. Others will say it's to keep alive the passion, right? I remember one of my mentors saying, leadership is very easy. Just remember MVP, mission, vision, and passion, right? And then it's, it's funny because then some people are like, no, 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 it's the other way around. It's vision first, then mission, then passion. You know, there's different ways to organize it, but which of those is the primary aspect of the leader? Well, Aquinas doesn't give that for any of them. I mean, you'd say, obviously, that's all true, but he goes even deeper. And Aquinas says, just like a sailor, in order to bring a ship to port, has to know where that port is, and in the same way, a shepherd, in order to care for his sheep, needs to know his flock. Well, in the same way, a good leader has to know what he is to focus upon. And here Aquinas just gives us such a valuable insight, right? Because 
So many of us attempt this organizational you know, management or the founding of a, of a business or, or the, the control of an enterprise in any way that we do it. And we, we do it without really taking stock of the fact that it's not because we're good at what we do uh, in terms of output or art that we're necessarily good at running a business. This is one of the mistakes that so many businesses make. Someone's really good in a department and so you make them the manager. It's a different thing to be a manager and a different thing to be good at what you do. But a lot of us, we, we get confused there because it's just so easy. If you're really good, you become the manager. But there's a different art there. The art of productivity is to make whatever it is, but the art of management has a different goal. And Aquinas is really beautiful here. He says that that goal is what we, if we keep it in mind, we'll hit it. And that goal is the peace of unity. But what in the world does he mean? Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. Let's go ahead and look at De Ragno chapter 3 here by Aquinas. He's going to list forth for us what it is, he says it beautifully, that, that a leader actually she focuses on. He says... The aim of any ruler should be directed towards securing the welfare of that which he undertakes to rule, right? So this is the rule number one of any kind of organizational leadership, and that's that you need to defend the organization. This can be really, really hard. You have to let people go. You have to maintain all kinds of stresses. You have to hire the right people. You have to come up with a vision. You have to change according to circumstances and times. It's, it's a lot of stress, right, to do that. But that's why we hire you to be the leader. You know what I mean? Like, you got to take care of the troops and the welfare thereof and of every aspect of that welfare that's been entrusted to you. And as a Christian, especially, we have to do it as Christ himself would do it, defending the, their rights, looking towards their spiritual good as well, and incorporating that into things, making sure that a person's wholeness can be brought into the workplace watching for equity and watching for, for violations of justice in different ways, right? And so in, in all of these things, right, the, it, we are there as putting the common good of the organization and securing it. We're to defend that set of circumstances that allows each individual member to reach their personal good. And so he goes on, he says, the duty of the pilot, for instance, is to preserve his ship amidst the perils of the sea, Right? So we didn't hire the pilot to be a comedian and to walk around, you know, telling jokes to everybody. The reason you have a pilot is don't let the ship hit the rocks, right? So the reason we have a CEO, chief executive officer, is that he be an executive. The things are supposed to move. Make the decisions, man. You know, go forward. It's a, you know, so that, that's his principal, principal job. Well, now the welfare and safety of a multitude formed into a society lies in the preservation of its unity, which is called peace. Peace. What a definition, right? Peace being seen as the unity of a formed multitude. It's amazing because right there you have a really broad notion of peace. I think a lot of us, when we think of peace, we just think of the absence of war, the absence of fighting. But no, it's deeper than that for Aquinas. Peace is not primarily the absence of something, 
but rather the presence of something, the presence of unity. Now, see, right, right away, like, even though it can seem vague, this is the most practical of things because it's, it gives us something to look for instead of just something to avoid. Right? So if I were to say that the good of your business is dependent upon its peace, I think a lot of you would say, okay, so the first thing we have to do is eliminate backbiting and make sure that people are there on time, etc. And I'd say you're very right. From the outside, peace is, is acquired to a degree by not being attacked by the enemy, right? So eliminating that negativity. But, but that's only like, in a sense, the preconditions of peace. In other words, by having the absence of attack or the absence of threat around me, I do in fact have a, a premonition of peace, uh, a type of first fruits of peace, but the peace is itself something different. The leader's job is, in other words, not just to provide from the outside. The leader has another very important task, and that is to furnish and to make flourish the unity of his group. What does that mean? What's the unity of the class that you're teaching when you're a high school teacher? Or what's the unity of the hospital floor that you are monitoring when you're running the floor as a nurse? What's the unity of the household that you have, are you trying to create with your four small children who are, you know, burying about, what is the unity that you need to create in your family life between generations? What does this mean, this unity? This is what's hard about Aquinas. He doesn't define things in just one way. He defines a notion, and that notion can be applied very broadly and very differently in different circumstances, but it'll always remain the same. In philosophy, we call it an analogy. Right? Analogy means it's the same thing said differently. Ah, yes, but what exactly does he mean? What is the unity? Well, he talks about it here as being that which is not necessary for the welfare and preservation of any group that's you, that is formed for a purpose. It's that which is necessary for the welfare and the preservation. This means that if I think of the end goal of my organization— the unity will be that set of conditions necessary to enable us to achieve that end in a way that is the best and in a way that is the most secure. Two qualifications, welfare and security, right? And so what is the best way for, if our, if our mission of our organization is to create a plans for an architect, right? And we say, that's what it is. What is the best way to do that? There's going to be a set of conditions that are necessary in order to create that. And the leader's goal is going to be to look at the diversity of their, of their team, the diversity of their talents, the diversity of their, of their skill sets, the diversity also of the challenges in front of them, and to navigate that water to create this synergy, this type of uni unified effort where each member is able, because of their uh, belonging to the group, to expand and give the very best of themselves. Do you see, the, the art of the leader is, in, in, a, in a very real way, the ability to form a dynamic team. The ability to create the conditions, yes, peace on the outside by removing of threats, making sure you have the right office furniture, etc., but that, that's only the preconditions. I mean, at the heart of it, 
It's how do I get each one of the people here, the cards that I've been dealt with, how do I get them to work together to see the potential that's in the others and to bring that out? How do I invest, in other words, into this particular group, a kinetic energy that allows us to go beyond the ordinary and deliver the extraordinary? Well, I mean, obviously that's a skill set. Obviously that's a real art. Obviously that requires a lot of effort and talent and intelligence. And that's why you're here. By, by focusing in there though and realizing that is in fact the goal. It goes, there, there are so many studies out there that talk about this. The power of the team being greater than the strength of any indiv of its individual members. The, the, the kinetic energy, so to speak, that comes when any group of people is focused and collaborating together and the joy that comes from that, right? This is actually the goal of the leader because when that happens, each member's mission is fulfilled and the, the mission of the whole is in fact preserved and made good. What is the nature of that unity, right? And it'll be different with each member of the team. And that's the first lesson I think we got to take away from this practically is we cannot as leaders be looking constantly to get new cards in the deck to play. The fact is that the, 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 some of the greatest victories in sports were won by teams that didn't have the most remarkable talent. And some of the most remarkable successes that take place in technological and developments and in science took place in conditions that were not optimal, right? If we all want to blame. We want to say, oh, well, if we had a different set of cards, different set of people, we could do a lot more. And I think that sometimes, obviously, that, that is a condition. But sometimes that's also a luxury that we're just not allowed. The, the amount of time it would take to change the people on the team, to reform the constitution of the thing, might not be of the essence. We need to do is find that way to, to create the unity between the people who are under us. And that, my friends, has, is not a challenge that goes completely without skill. And I want to give you a few insights from Aquinas and from the gospel that can actually help us in that quest. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. All right, so all of us are here today to become better leaders, and St. Thomas in his work De Regno actually in chapter three lays out the goal of leadership. And he says the goal of leadership is, of course, the preservation of that which has been given to him, the organization in our case. And yet at, he goes, what's at the heart of that? It's to preserve peace, the peace of unity. Right? Because with, and th this notion of the peace of unity is a beautiful expression because it really speaks about not just any kind of peace, not a stagnant peace, not a, but a dynamic peace. The peace that comes from the harmony of the parts and the members working together to create and to give forth this work, which is the proper reason for the organization. How do I create that and foster that? Well, the very first thing that Aquinas says is he says, well, is it better that that come from a multitude or does it come from one? And he answers, the most effective way to create unity would come from the heart of a single person. 
Uh, the reason I think this is really important, I mean, he goes on, he's talking about it from a political point of view, and he says if you have a group like a committee at the top, right, well, that committee won't really be able to have the same force of convictions as a single person. And I know it's very good and healthy. I mean, boards run things and boards provide oversight and committees allow for diverse thinking, etc. But the impact of the leadership won't come from the decision, even if it's a good one, made by a committee. That committee and that board that governs things, this is very necessary in order to give the guidelines and to give the truth, but it won't necessarily give conviction. People are not motivated by what the boards say, right? Look at the difference between having a president and having a Congress, right? Even if they say the same exact thing, the president provides a unique power to rally, to unite, to speak in intentionally, to speak to the heart, to inspire. And no matter what noble words Congress, for example, might say, it just lacks the same power of conviction as when it's embodied in a single person. And this is what I want to get out for each one of you, because you all have the noble ideals in your mind. You all are here because you want your businesses to succeed. You want your efforts to succeed. You want your Boy Scout troop to succeed. You want your Girl Scout troops to succeed. You know, this is why you're here. How do I become a better leader in every aspect of my life? And the very first thing I'd like to say is, are you yourself unified around the principles towards which you want to lead the group? Are you convicted? Are you convinced? Have you made those ideals personal? Now, obviously, it can go too far, especially in the secular work environment. You know, no, you, can, you can become so emotional about things that you can actually become an ineffective leader. But if you don't go too far, what does that look like? It looks like conviction and authenticity. And those two words have the greatest power to move those who are underneath you. One of the reasons why our business fails is that we have failed in our leadership to want the goal and the end, not only the product, but also the good of the people who are there. We don't believe enough in what we do. That's why I want to do this work at the St. John Institute with you to really show you the intention that God has in the world of business. He wants to work through you for the betterment of the world and he will only work through you for the betterment of the world in the way that is proper to the vocation of the Catholic business leader. And we need to seize this with all of our hearts because when the more that I can understand that, the more convinced I can become, the more that I can be effective in bringing about that specific kind of unity that renders work not only effective, but glorious. And that brings me to the second principle, of becoming an effective leader of the unity of peace and creator of the unity of peace, and that is humility. Believe it or not, humility is as important in the life of a leader as passion, mission, or vision is. Why? Because I, my job is not just to run boldly towards the enemy brandishing my sword. My, my job is not just to convince others that I'm right. My job is to forge a unity that is bigger than any individual that I could ever confront or rouse. 
How do I create a unity of the different people who are underneath me who have been given to me? In my family, for example, think about that. That when, when everything is aglow and awash with that kind of peace in the family and everyone's laughing at just the right jokes and there's a peace and a concord amongst the children and the moms and, and the dad, you're enjoying a moment together. It's like sublime. You'd rather be nowhere else on earth. That's the peace. That's the job of the leader to try to promote. And what do I need to do that, to do that? I have to accept that I am, as the leader, do not always have to be right. <laughs> I, as a leader, do not always have to be the best. I am a servant of unlocking the potentials of the others in a way that allows them to build something together that's bigger than any of them. To do that, I absolutely have to be humble. I think of Mother Teresa of Calcutta, right? She used to put it this way. She said, I'm just a pencil in the hand of my God. Let me, let me let, just get out of the way, my God. If I could get out of the way, he would write something beautiful with this story. To be a pencil in the hand of God, that's humble. To look at things, in other words, this is not my field of conquest that I have to rise by stepping on those who are around me. Some of you are in positions where that is the culture and the company. Well, you can change that culture by changing your own heart. That we are not called by God to step on other people in order to rise to the top of a given culture, a given community. That's a rise for power. Now, that, there can be an element of that, an element of the quest for power. That's a very fine thing. It's, you know, it's a good thing to be competitive and to get to the top. But the goal of power isn't the self-glorification of the one who possesses it. <laughs> the goal of power is to be able to use it for the benefit of those who are around you. And that requires us getting out of the way. If I'm at the top, in other words, it's for your sake. I have to become humble in the presence of the greatness of the others. When I do that, I can start to find it. I think sometimes that big log that's in our own eye, as Jesus says in the gospel, it's our own pride and our own desire to be at the center and the focus of absolutely everything. Let's go beyond that. Because in the end, you know, you are not the greatest thing that exists on the earth. <laughs> You're the custodians of the greatest thing that exists on the earth. The greatest thing that exists on the earth is the church of God. And that church of God given to you in the concord of people's entrusted to you in the, even in a secular environment. This has been given to you to shepherd and to uphold and to defend and to promote. And I can do that best when I'm as humble as our Lord. And I look upon my opportunity as, of power as an opportunity of service in his name to those who he's given me, leading them to greatness. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.